Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win, including boosted same-game parlays for the upcoming NBA action after the football season. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive this special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's Bet $10, Win $200 offer. Just bet $10 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. And let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. Welcome to the Greenlight Podcast. Mm. Today, Coach Sean Payton joins Chris and Macon. He's going to talk plenty of stories from the New Orleans Saints, his relationship with Coach Parcells, the decision to kick the onside kick against the Colts in the Super Bowl, we get into Taysom Hill and maybe coaching again. Kicking things off, Chris and Macon talk a little Masters. Then we dissect the Eagles-Saints trade and talk Rob Gronkowski's recent comments about performance bonuses in New England. Then Chris reviews the top edge rushers in the 2022 NFL Draft presented by Coors Light. Hey, y'all enjoy. Have a great Friday. Macon, I'm going to be as quick as I can because uh, I got to go see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with my kids. Uh, first one was pretty decent. Second one, I think is going to be even better. I'm really excited. You should do an edible. Okay, that's where I was going. I'm not driving. I'm a passenger for everybody. Like I'm, I'm going to be sitting with my 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 lovely family enjoying Sonic. And we've popcorn? Got popcorn for sure. Butter? Butter for sure. You get them to put a little salt on that on that popcorn? No, nah, dude. Okay. Is just, that is that like a Yeah, just game a little changer? bit of, yeah, actually, yeah. Probably depends on the theater. Like some of these theaters probably put salt on there anyways. I would ask for some salt with okay. the butter at okay. the theater. The scary thing about asking somebody to add something to your popcorn is like I don't know how perceptive the person working there is. Like yeah. it's just a total crapshoot. You say medium butter, that's a totally different comment depending on who's receiving it. Yeah. Hot take, medium, medium rare, medium well. No, actually, I think those guys know what they're doing. You're about to say it's all doing. the same. Yeah, I think they know. I think that's a little bit more exact than how much butter. Philadelphia style. That's good. I'm glad you said that. Uh, but I'm going to be going to the movie soon, and we got Sean Payton coming on the show today, and Sean Payton is somebody that, that uh, as a player, I really admired. I, I hated playing against teams like that, that Sean Payton coached because they were so good. They were just such a pain in the ass. They were so good throwing the ball, but they were also so good running the ball. And that's like, it sounds so obvious, like why that would be a problem, but there's not enough teams that can really hurt you in both ways. 
and the and the the looks in the run game for them, including Taysom Hill, uh, were all over the place. I mean, like they were very adaptive. And I think he's one of the greatest offensive head coaches of all time. I had some of my best games against Sean Payton. Uh, I also had some of my worst games against Sean Payton. I mean, losing forty-seven to seven or whatever it was uh, in you know down in New Orleans, my last year preceding the playoff game that we damn near won uh, was awful. That was as low a point as I can remember in my career. And if you're not ready to play a Sean Payton-led team, they're going to kick your ass, especially down there in the 504. So this is going to be fun, man. I, I We've already done the interview. I think people awesome. enjoy it. Awesome combo. Great storyteller. Super generous with his time. And he was driving the whole time in the car from, I guess, New Orleans to his beach house. So we had Sean Payton for until the movies, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A peek behind the curtain. I was so nervous asking him about Taysom Hill. Yeah. I had to and, finish the question. And how folks are, are critical of Taysom Hill at times that, that, that you had to finish it. For yeah. Me. So <laughs> look out for that. Yeah. But it, it was so awesome, man. Like, I really do think that guy could be super arrogant and um, he's cool. It was a great interview and we hope to have him back again. Enjoy the Sean Payton interview. But right now, as we look at it, about 6 p.m. Uh, Thursday, our today, y'all's Aug- yesterday. Augusta, Maine. Augusta. And Hello. Tiger looks like he's on some nugenics like a motherfucker. I mean, that guy is just, he's, he's been on the peck deck since the car accident. Augusta's the capital of Maine. I'm pretty fire when it comes to capitals. No, I know. I, you slipped in the Augusta, Maine thing. I'm just so blown away. I'm looking at, uh, you know, B-roll of Tiger just strutting around this course in a pink shirt. Is he strutting or is he limping? I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of it today. might have a little today. Coach K going on. Okay. Oh, but, yeah, uh, there it is. There's a little hitch in his giddy up. But you know what? I'm just super excited to see him out there like everybody else in America. There's no no person that means more to their sport than Tiger Woods. Um, really, I mean, when you, when you look back at this, I don't know that any athlete in, in like modern America deserves a biopic more than this guy. I mean, like legitimately. Authorized or unauthorized? Fuck it, make it. We'll do an unauthorized okay. biopic because I think that's going to be a lot more interesting. But Honestly, somebody who, when you look at people lining the fairway, by the way, I say this every year, risking their fucking lives. I know these are like the equivalent of of Dan Marino. Yes, that's a nod to Dolphins fans. Super accurate, super powerful, all-world athletes that make that little tiny ball go where they want it to go. But that thing could slice at any moment. There's a lot of people lining up just to see Tiger Woods practice and those shots this week reminded me of that reality, which is that no no athlete means more to their sport than Tiger Woods. Not Tom Brady, not LeBron James. He is golf. For a lot of people that grew up when we grew up, and I'm not even a huge golf fan, I know that. Cowboy Reed is. Did you know this? Yeah, we. so the other day you did a really good exercise. You were like, hey, here are all the Masters winners. It was a, a lot picture. funnier in the group text than it was on Twitter. Well, I don't know what you were, but I was high. So that's my excuse for why I think it was really funny, but we... We tried to thread this thing. <laughs> First off, the question was, how many of these dudes can you name? And Cowboy Reed named 21 of these jokers. Yeah. I mean, to me, that might as well be a rotary club. It was crazy. I dig it up to 14. You, I know you want some credit, and well, I'll give it to you. You're better I than I would have thought. I wouldn't Cowboy- have said that if you hadn't said I was 11 on the internet. I knew that you would take issue with that. But Cowboy Reed getting to 21 is basically like naming every world country capital i mean he's capitals pretty, of the world he's by pretty, cowboy reed he's pretty good at it dude 
I did not know you like golf so much. I mean, we were watching the Masters earlier with no sound, and Cowboy Reed is just giggling. He's giggling at Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> hooking things into the gallery. That's right. Pretty funny. You know, they got a par three uh, tournament too now. Dolphins fans are all now? over that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. I don't like the par five Do you know that so the, much. The cut happens after Friday, not after Thursday. I didn't know that. You guys want to quiz me real quick on what I know about golf because I'm sitting here and I was now. Of course, those of you that disagree uh, somehow with my take that Tiger Woods is the, is the most important person is they're going to say now that like you don't even know anything about golf. But I think it proves the point even more. I didn't know about Cut Day. Yeah, it's it's halfway through. Okay. So you want to ask me anything else about the Masters? Why don't, you know, why don't we do a little well quick quiz people, on, the, on golf yeah. and the Masters? Hey, what goes farther, the uh, the three wood or the five iron? Oh, three wood. Okay, yeah, that's right. Name one. So each hole at Augusta National is named. It has a name, usually after a tree or a flower. Name one hole. Dogwood you, hole. There you go. Well Ooh. done. What is wow. an eagle? Oh, an eagle. That's two strokes ahead of a par. There you go. What hole is Amen Corner? Holes. What hole is Amen Corner? Yeah. Multiple. God damn it, cowboy. <laughs> what, is an, what is an albatross? Albatross, that's one b- above an eagle. That's like the, the, the jaguar to a cougar when talking about nice-looking older ladies. Jaguar <laughs> is like over 65. What is Johnson, I'm Smith, Willett, Scheffler? What the fuck did you say? Current leaderboard. Okay. How what? about there's a guy named I, I'm yeah, that's winning this referenced. tournament? Yeah. Yep. It's incredible. We did a little Calcutta. That's where you draft. That's we, all you got for me? I'm, I, bait, I know no, golf. No, we'll keep going. We'll keep you going. You fucks know golf? Let me just read the team. You can't okay. even stump me right. on name, golf. Read the name the four major championships. The Masters, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 <laughs> no, that's when they people from different countries play each other. It was St. Andrews. St. Andrews. That is the site of one of the majors. Okay, that's on occasion, on occasion. And then there's one that you know. But are you calling the major the St. Andrews? <laughs> that's not what it's called. St. <laughs> Andrews. They. Uh, Where is St. Andrews? The British Open. That's Scottish Open. Well, you get credit. You get credit for the British Open. They like to call it the Open Championship. Yep, these days, sure. the British Open. Yep. Might as well be speaking a different language. One more. The winner of the Masters gets this jacket. Oh, it's green, dude. Very well done. It's green. And There's it is, one guy in that picture. Craig Sadler got whom? the yellow shirt. Craig, Craig Sadler. This guy's a fucking menace. This Craig Sadler, dude. He's the whole room has a white shirt. This guy got a yellow shirt, which is not like a, oh, that's all I had was a yellow shirt. He he decided that he wanted a yellow shirt for that picture. The green jacket is given to this year's winner by whom? The last year's winner. Impressive. Is it? <laughs> Impressive. I don't even know the majors, but I think my Calcutta team is going to win. Your Calcutta team is, is John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, Kevin Na, Taylor Gooch, and Christian Beezer. <laughs> We're calling him the Beezer. Is that how, how you say that guy's name? Well, no, it's it's Bezidenhut, but Bezidenhut. He's Beezer to us. Yeah, you went with Na and Gooch. I was really, I was looking for a. Retief Huasen. Retief Huasen. Now, the story behind that, you dumb Americans probably think it's Retief Goosen. Well, let me tell you something. When I was 15 years old, I knew a South African guy named... named David Webberly. David Webberly. 
and we had a going away party. That's where I drank my first beer. I was 15 years old, had it in a red solo cup. And uh, David Wibbly said one day, not at the going away party, he said that golfer Retief Goosen, you know, y'all are saying it wrong. It's Retief Hwasen. And therefore, my guys say my guy's name one more time. Yeah, uh, Christian Baz, Baz, Christian. You might want to call David Webbly. Bazedenhut. Yep. So I. So yeah, there's my team. I got Cameron Smith, Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka, Corey Connors, Justin Rose. That's the exact same team as Kyle Long. We did this blindly, um, except he has Eric Van Royen, Ruyen, instead of Justin Rose. That's a one in fourteen thousand shot that Kyle and I would have picked. Incredible that y'all's brains actually work more closely than than I would think. Yeah, wild. Cowboy Reed's got Scotty Scheffler, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Russell Henley, and Brian Harmon. Fax has Rom Matsuyama, defending champ, Paul Casey, Siwoo Kim, and Sergio Garcia. It doesn't really, this is a peek behind the curtain, but the thing that's important for people at home to know is that there are stakes to this Calcutta. The loser has to go out on a driving range for three minutes. Is that what we've decided? I have three minutes. 15. About 150 yards out? Is that kind of like an iron range there? Yeah, that's right. Mid iron. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. And we're going to give them a helmet and um, and a cup, and they can wear, I don't know. God, yeah. Um, I don't want them wearing a fucking windbreaker. This has got to hurt a little shin bit. Shin guards? No. Oh, dude, I have a thing with my shins. Really? Yeah. Then you we'll trade you the shin cardboard. guards for the cup. Okay, but I can cover myself. Yeah, you can cover your dick. Okay. Well, come on, dude. My friend's kids listen to this show. That's your problem. Your friends sound like they uh, they don't have any morals. Like who the fuck has their kids listening to this show? One guy, <laughs> one guy was like, "Man, what the fuck, dude? You ruined Christmas." I was listening to your show um, in, in the car with my son. I was like, well, "What does he think about dicks and balls and all the other things that we talk about?" Because Christmas is the least of my concerns. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm thinking. Uh, three minutes, you can run around as much as you want within an area mutually agreed upon, and the entire green light team is hitting golf balls. Just whoop, whoop, Yeah. Whoop. I think you know what it, that sounds like? You know, I think it should be an even longer period whoop, of time. Whoop. Five because, minutes? Well, I mean, we're not Tiger, Tiger Woods, no, y'all No, it's going to be tough to hit the guys, so maybe yeah. five minutes. Who's losing at this point in, in the PGA Tour Championship or whatever the fuck this is? <laughs> Augusta National. Look, somebody the just prim- hit the ball in the drink. Can we call this the primaries? I would drink water out of that fucking creek there. Creek. Lord willing. What's the name of that creek? Oh, uh, uh, oh, hold on. I got this. I don't know it either. Amen Creek. No, hold on. Creek. Come on. We can, at the Masters, Augusta, there's a creek. I don't know it. I don't know the creek's name. White Creek. I'll give you the letters. Colonial Creek. A-E-N-R. Oh, Era. Ray. Ray Ray's, Creek. Ray's Creek. That's stupid. Oh, Ray's Creek. They're gonna have Settlers to they're Creek. gonna have to rename it Ram Creek after this this weekend. Retif. My Ram. Gooch Creek. One of my another one of my golfers. So here's the deal. A couple uh, observations today. Number one, uh Cam Smith, most Australian looking person I've ever seen. Awesome. Flow, mustache. Just like like I hear that music they always play in the outback yeah. when I see him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fosters. 
Australian for beer. Beer. Okay. And then also, if you use the safety putting bar, that's the biggest beta move of all time. You're talking about the two-handed putter that Adam Scott uses? Yeah, so I call it the safety bar because it reminds me of the safety bar in weightlifting. It's like, you see a guy at the gym, he might be totally fucking jacked, but if he's got the safety bar on there, unless he played like, you know, a decade in the NFL or has a back problem uh, that I don't know about, people kind of side-eye you at the gym. I feel like it's the same way out on the green if you got that little two-handed fucking thing. I considered Adam Scott. Nas minus one. All right, well, happy hunting to you guys. Yeah, we love golf. We love golf. We'll be talking more about it on Monday. Uh, And then I actually recently, um, in unrelated news, in cameo-related news, by the way, I have some really good cameos that I think we should probably just fire off pretty soon. We've been holding them for five years. I've been holding these cameos since I retired. I was just, I was compiling these cameos where I would hit up some, you know, NFL players and get them to say stupid shit. A lot of them I know. Um, and I've been holding these four for some reason for the last three, I think four you years. thought you were going to do like a podcast sort of deal. Well, it was just about getting people <laughs> to do fucked up cameos. And that, and, and that ship has sailed. Um, so I, look, be on the lookout for those in the future. Uh, but I had a buddy that had a health scare a week ago. And naturally, to make him feel better, I got Tanya Harding to record a cameo for him. Tanya, thank you so much. It's good of um, you. Good of you. Great background. Um, you were totally uh, invested in the process. I appreciate you. Uh, and what I really came to find out was that figure skaters in general are really invested in Cameo because a week later in my inbox, I received a Nancy Kerrigan mm. uh, Cameo from from said friend. So very clever, touche. Uh, we did a Cameo for a Cameo. Uh, and, and Nancy Kerrigan went above and beyond. Uh, she was just great. Also want to shout out McIntyre, my favorite wrestler. I got him to do a cameo for my buddy, McIntyre. You wouldn't know about McIntyre, but shoot him a Google. He's this big uh, Highlander looking motherfucker, walks around with a sword. Instantly my favorite wrestler upon uh, Road to WrestleMania entry the other night. He went above and beyond and recorded an awesome cameo. Seems like a salt of the earth guy. Uh, But Nancy Kerrigan had a special message for me that my friend, uh, I guess told her to deliver and also i did hear that you said something mean about the miami dolphins quarterback and i just want to say don't do that anymore be nice uh you know around the kitchen table when i was a kid it was if you have nothing nice to say don't say it at all well nancy evidently you've never worked in sports media because sometimes you have to say negative things about the miami dolphins quarterback uh take that to heart that was great advice it is good advice but that's pretty funny, though, that, that Nancy Kerrigan is in on this anon debate. Yeah, well, welcome, welcome, Nancy. And, and to by the on. way, I was on Dan Levitard's uh, show this morning, uh, My Today, Your Yesterday, and Dan basically got me to agree. Well, I volunteered it because I, I don't think it's going to happen, but Miami Dolphins to a tongue of Iloa. If he leads the Dolphins to a Super Bowl championship, then I will get a portrait of Tua. Tatua. Tatua. You got it. That's, That's what, awesome. I think Stu Gotts actually was the one who That's coined brilliant. that phrase. And uh, listen, I know you're going to have a yactery down there, but I just don't see this happening. So Tua Super Bowl anytime ever? Not Tua holding a clipboard in 2032. With the Dolphins? 
With the Dolphins, he's got to be a starting quarterback okay, with the Dolphins. Okay, starter with the Dolphins. Yeah. Okay. Would you get it over Ken Flagel? No, or? I'd, I'd, I'm just collecting heads at this Yeah, point. the same I'm spot. just collecting heads, dude. And you know what? I, that seemed unlikely as well, so who knows? Yeah. Um, Go so Keep an eye on the tattoo thing. A couple quick thoughts before we get to Sean Payton here. Rob Gronkowski went on Jimmy uh, Kimmel. He's asked about if players were aware if they needed one more book? statistical boost or not uh, to get a contract in- incentive. And Rob said, yes, I've seen it before, actually. Not with the Patriots, though. They'll probably pull you before you hit that bonus there. He immediately said, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, I think the funniest thing about this whole thing is not only that I have a story that goes counter to this, not that it fucking matters, it's just a little me, but you know, like another really funny thing about this story is that I realized that Rob Gronkowski... His mouth is his brain because we already knew that, but he said what he didn't mean and then said, I shouldn't have said that out loud. (laughs) When I was up there, I actually got took care of on a bonus. Um, We were playing Miami and uh, it was down there at that gorgeous stadium, by the Mm, way. I really like your stadium down there in Miami, down in Miami Gardens. I had to, to play well above like my average amount of snaps at that point to earn a bonus. So for me to get a full day's work, and get that number. Uh, I How feel, much? I think it was like a half million dollars, dude. Holy Toledo. And so this was a big deal for me. And at that point in my career, you know, I had made a lot of money, but I wasn't making a ton of money in New England relative to what I'd made before. And so this would have been a nice chunk of change, man. Go towards the studio or something. So Bill basically charitable bought this efforts. studio. Yeah, or charitable efforts. Bill basically bought this studio by not pulling me in a game that it was apparent that we were gonna get home field advantage like pretty early. And so at this point- um, No you shade. Know, huh? No shade to yeah. Dolphin Nation. No, 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 no. I mean, but we were coming to this game and there was like an 80% chance we, we wrap it up. There was one other game we had to eyeball and by halftime, I think it was pretty much at hand and I was thinking I'm gonna come out in the second half and get pulled because they don't miss anything around here. Like they know where everybody is, right? Bill's the GM too, right? Uh, when I didn't get pulled, nothing was ever talked about. Um, nothing was ever said, but I always appreciated it. Maybe he just didn't notice and it wasn't enough money to make him, you know. But to me, it was a big deal. So I know Gronk said that and he has way more experience than me there. But uh, I'm always appreciative of getting that extra chunk of change from uh, from Bill in that game. So Should we have bonuses around here? Uh, maybe starting tomorrow. Okay. I want to institute an employee of the month around here and also good. an honor code. Yeah, that's good. And then and then incentive bonuses. I like that. Okay. Let's let's workshop that. Okay, somebody write that down in the audience. Somebody write that down. Send it in. We're going to talk about the Saints in a second. The Eagles trade, we haven't gotten a chance to comment on. Listen, I, I kind of have the same take as everybody else. It, it's I think the Eagles won this trade, but I also don't know what the Saints are trying to do. Like, the Eagles started the week with three first round picks this this year they added another and a second on top of that and were able to split those first round picks up two and two over the next two years so what does that mean this year uh it means that jalen hurts gets a good honest uh assessment period before they decide next year if a draft that's got you know um young and and stroud in it uh is going to be the draft that they, they're looking at making a change on their center in and you know how he likes to have options. I think he's had a great off season how he has. Kazir White, 
Like that's a big pickup. For, I haven't seen the Eagles invest in linebackers in a while uh, to the degree that they went out and got a ball player. They bring Fletcher Cox back, Hassan Reddick, uh, then this move. And I know I'm only talking about it from the Eagles' point of view, but I think it's a really good trade for them because it gives them you know flexibility. And they still have two guys that they can they can hit impact players on in the top you know 15, 20 this year. So that's great. Um, and then the Saints, you know, like. Loomis said at 18, we're probably not going to get a quarterback this year. Talking about this year. Uh, they've moved up now to 16. I don't know if it makes that much of a difference being at 16. So the question is, now that they have two picks in the first round, are they going to parlay those picks into an even earlier pick? Which would tell me that they like somebody. Now, Jameis Winston, you might ask, why would they pay him so much money to play this year? Maybe they like somebody that's a project that they're very confident within two, three years is going to be a ball player. So I think we'll know what the the Saints want to do by what they do with these picks or if they do anything at all. It'd be surprising to me if they did nothing at all. I know there's a salary cap relief aspect of drafting young talent rather than like waiting a year. They need help now. Maybe they're real serious about winning this year and they, and they feel like the window's open. I don't know. Anyways, pretty good pickup uh, when it comes to the haul for, for the Eagles and Howie Roseman's had a really good offseason. I just want to point that out. I pointed out when my guy has had a, you know, there have been moves where I've been like, oh, I don't like that. He's on fire right now. He's heating up. He's heating up. NBA Jam. These days, it seems like life forces us to be on all the time. So every now and again, it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. You know, it's a hectic time of year. Between weddings, graduations, spring sports, and more, we're busier than ever right now. Uh, And it's my favorite season, if I'm being honest. It's a great season to take a second for ourselves in the midst of all this craziness. So this year, take a second to enjoy an ice-cold Coors Light, because you deserve a beer that's made to chill, much like me. The mountains on the bottles, cans, uh, you know, like they turn blue when your beer's cold. Come on. This is a chillin' beer. You always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit a reset, just open a Coors Light. I can hear it right now. Mountain cold refreshment. Get Coors Light delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart by going to CoorsLight.com slash Greenlight. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And then finally, before we get to Sean Payton, I want to talk about the, the draft for Coors Light. Coors Light, made to chill. Made to chill. Coors Brewing, Golden, Colorado. That's right. Real quick, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of the Edge guys. Macon, have you have you watched the Edge guys a lot? Yeah. 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 And you've probably watched more than me. So this is the beginning of my journey when it comes to these guys. I mean, I've watched a little bit of these guys. I mean, as the draft gets closer, I'm going to really dive in. So don't take any of this as, as a pecking order or an ordering of where I'd like uh, to draft a guy. But I, I have maintained that I'm not sold 100% on drafting any of these guys in the top five. Now, that's not an insult. Um, I just need to see a little bit more before if I'm one of these teams that obviously need a lot of different players, like a Jacksonville. Well, you know, they, they, they franchise Cam Robinson, so you're not thinking they, they go with the tackle, but do they really need a defensive end that bad? Like, is that kind of the, the thing for them? Are they in love with one of these guys enough that you're going to pair him opposite Josh Allen. One of the interesting considerations with Jacksonville is like Josh Allen's one type of rusher. Like does that kind of, is that where the lean to Aiden Hutchinson comes from? You can play him in different ways than you play Josh Allen. 
I don't know. When you're drafting a defensive end, I think all of these things come into play. Thibodeau, who I'm really growing fond of the more I watch him. Actually, as people are saying he's plummeting, I'm learning more about him. Listen, confidence, whatever it is, you know, that's that's for the teams in the meetings to to gauge. I unless you're in those meetings, you don't know what kind of kid this guy is. Okay. He seems like a good kid. He seems like a, a kid who's ready to work. You know, as as I think Emmanuel Sanders said on Good Morning Football, like I'd be more worried about that attitude if he were a quarterback. Um, you have to be supremely confident. I wasn't a guy that always exuded supreme confidence outwardly. So I think that's kind of fucking cool to be a guy like that. I kind of wish, you know, that must be cool to be like, I'm the best in the draft. Like, good. And honestly, if I could run around like Thibodeau, I might feel that way as well. My only thing about him is he's going to have to put on more weight. Like, I don't think, you know, at a one, five, nine, 10 yard split, um, he's a bit of a short strider. Like, I think he's going to have to play with a little more power than he might think. But golly, he runs underneath his body really well. And that's something that, like, I know you might not understand what I'm saying, but. Oh, no, I've run underneath my own body, body pretty well. my entire life. He's very under control. He's very athletic. He's very, his feet plant in the ground and they're, they're there. He's not sliding. He's not slipping. He's good at the top of the rush. Ankle flexion. Um, he probably has good ankle flexion. I'd have to watch him more. His finishing ability is really good. And he also blows up some run plays. I think he's very twitchy. I mean, like, the question for me is, for a guy who's got a ton of upside, is he going to meet an NFL coach his first year that's going to develop him? Because as he has, like, one of the strangely highest floors of any of the players, like, because I think that would kind of go counter to what people talk about him like. But I think his floor is relatively high because of how twitchy and athletic he is. And the fact that he hasn't, really learned how to rush yet, dude. I look at this guy's hands, and I'm not throwing shade at the kid, this is actually a compliment. When you look at him, like, I was very polished coming out. Aiden Hutchinson's very polished, right? That's a word you keep using. Like, hand usage is a way that a player can get a lot better, and I think Thibodeau, like, when he puts his hands on people, yes, sometimes he'll run them the fuck over, and you can see how heavy-handed he can be, but sometimes he's just laying them on people without a real plan. And um, I think if he encounters a really good defensive line coach, the ceiling for him is so high, I might be apt to bite the cheese on that one. And, you know, so far, uh, people have questioned his effort. I'm not worried about that. That's, you know, like, that's, that's, that's definitely something you, you have to rely on the player to bring. But at the same time, if you're the coach and you can't get that out of a player, then how good of a coach are you? Like, I, I know that you can't coach effort is, is like the old adage you can coach effort, you can emphasize effort, and if you've got a, a, a D-line room where that tone is set by veterans and by people that, that bust their ass every day, like that kid's got no choice. So Tibbs is, he's in a way the highest ceiling and a really high floor as well for me. I, you know, maybe in a year we're, we're sitting here and we're saying, Jesus, what happened? But just from watching him a little bit, I, I really like him. The, the worry I have about Hutchinson is he's got length without length of arm. Like, you know, like, his arms are 32 and an eighth. Like he's b- below 50th percentile in arm length. And as a guy who's battled with these guys, who's not, you know, I'm not like a low to the ground tank like a Brandon Graham. It's tough and you have to have leverage. And if he's six foot seven, that's great, but it's for nothing other than PBUs if he can't A, play with leverage and B, play with length. So I worry about that, but I also think he's got a high floor as well. He's very good with his hands. No question. But, you know, like you do worry a little bit about some of the games where you talk about a Georgia where he's playing like big pro style bodies 
and the advantages that he might have had in the Big Ten at times didn't show up as much. I don't want to judge a kid off one game. Again, really like both these kids in different ways. And then Karloftis, here's a guy that reminds me of Brandon Graham, dude. He reminds me of a taller Brandon Graham. And that's not necessarily a good thing, not because Brandon Graham's not awesome. It's because a taller Brandon Graham is not Brandon Graham at all. Um, Brandon Graham's height, his leverage, is it's so important to him. And listen, I know, uh, he, he ran a 4.77 and opted not to run at the combine. He ran a 4.77 in his pro day. I, I'm, I'm joking. I don't mean fire that agent, but maybe fire that agent. Because Purdue doesn't even have a fucking indoor, evidently. They're out there in a, in a hailstorm or whatever it was, and he's running a 4.77. I'm not worried about his straight line speed. I'm not worried about his athleticism. I think sometimes when somebody doesn't fit a body type, we wonder if they're athletic because they don't have these thin hips and everything. But like, he's an athlete. He's just got wide hips. Like, he's a tank. And I, I'm not really sure if he's going to be a top of the rush guy at the next level. But he reminds me of of a little bit of BG, which is which is exciting to me. He's definitely an athlete. He was once a member of the Greek youth national water polo yeah, team. Yeah, this guy's a fucking athlete, dude. So, you know, when people say he's not an athlete, I think it's lazy. Is he the kind of athlete that's going to fit in today's game? Well, I don't know. It depends on how well you can use him in different spots and where you pick him up because I think he's going to make somebody happy depending on where he's drafted. But you have to be able to, to use him inside, you know, maybe move him down. Like he's going to be, he, there's more guys unlike him than there are like him in today's NFL. And I think that's in a lot of ways that change up is a BG is such a change up. Somebody who's really built the way he's built is such a change up. He's a real stocky built, like wide built guy. Um, and he carries that 266 um, and plays with it like powerfully as well. I mean, it's not like he's a finesse player in any way. And to further your BG comparison, after his pro day workout at Purdue, he had a private workout with Philadelphia. Mm. Flip, flip, flip. They're going to run with that shit. Anybody listening, hey, Bird's Nest, whatever, all you Philly blogs, run with that one. Carlaftis Carl reminds me of. Of a, a taller BG, which, disclaimer, that might not be a BG at all. Hey, you want to talk about a leverage demon? You want to talk about Joshua Pascal out of Kentucky. Six foot three, 268 pounds, 4.77, 40-yard dash. His arms are 33 inches long, PG County, Maryland. I like He's Josh Pascal. PG Pascoe. County, Maryland guy. Yeah, out of Kentucky. Get, the guy that's, that's climbing everybody's draft, you know, uh, draft board is this kid at Georgia. Walker, Trayvon Walker, and boy, do I like Trayvon Walker. And if it was 2006, he's the first pick in the draft because mm. the game was a little different, right? And this kid is like a long lever, like bona fide SEC badass. Like he's 6'5", 272, like plays like he's 272, 35 and a half inch arms, like Philip Daniels kind of kind of vibe for me. Like he could probably play at 300 pounds and not lose a lot of speed and agility. Um, he ran a four five one, and his ten yard is a one six two, which isn't the best. But I'm not going to draft this guy and expect that he's going to be a, a nine technique his whole career and justify the, the position he's drafted. I think a lot of times we blame these kids, blame the teams that are drafting them. If somebody wants to draft Trayvon Walker to be just a, a an edge burner guy, you're not going to be happy with the selection. Move this guy inside, move him up and down the line. If you care about the run game, you can play him in a six technique, you can play him in a five, you can play under. Like he's he can kind of do a lot of different stuff 
for a team. And then one guy I haven't mentioned yet is Johnson down at Florida State. Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson. ACC. Just literally started watching him today, and boy, is he kind of smooth, man. And then, you know, like Reed was here when I was watching his tape. I was like, oh, I like this kid. And then, you know, kept going. I saw his senior bowl footage and, you know, like saw that he could turn speed to power. He's got a really nice swipe. Like, is he going to be the, the type of guy that's always going to have to win with his hands to dip and rip and get under people? Because there is a difference between somebody who can just kind of like, uh, uh, you know, Tibbs, he can just kind of run and dip. And this kid is going to be a guy that might get to that off of handwork. Um, but boy, at four, five, eight, six foot five, good 10 yard split, this kid's going to climb. And I don't blame anybody for for snagging this kid in the top 10. Bottom line is, I don't hate any of these kids. Well, I mean, you did just grab like the the first six-pack of Coors Light you saw from the convenience store. I mean, these guys are... I, I, Josh Paschal, yeah. you talk about a guy yeah. like Josh Paschal, yep. you, you talk, talk about, about the Josh. Coors Light yep. at the back of the refrigerator behind the orange juice and the yep. yogurt yep. And, the, uh, and the cake, you know? Why are you leaving Coors Light... In the back of refrigerator behind the no, it's like it's cake. it's a great it's a great find. Like I thought I was out of Coors Light, and then wait, oh no, there's one at the back of the fridge. Thank God, I'm I'm saved. And his name is Josh Pascal, and his name also is Coors Light, Golden, Colorado. I've been to Golden. Good, really good, great place. I want to watch Drake Jackson. It's a name that that you know I'm I'm interested to to see how the tape matches up with what I've heard but those are kind of the the edge guys and before watching more than a day of film on these guys obviously I've seen them play but to really sink in and kind of watch the end zone tape of these guys or uh you know watch some game footage um I think it's a it, I think this class you know it's a fit class everybody's different Tibbs is different than Hutchinson, who's different than Karloftis, who's different than Walker, who's different than Johnson. They are literally all different style players. And then you got the unicorn, Josh Paschal out of Kentucky. Exactly. Hey, we've had good luck with edge guys from Kentucky. That's right. You know, Josh Allen, and then our guy. Now, my guy's more of like a like a run-stopper, unique right. body. Well, Bud Dupree was another one that I was going to say, but this is maybe your Davis Mills this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Shout out to you. But... A lot of fun watching these dudes, and who knows where they'll go. I think this is the most wide open edge class. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there might have been one in the past five, six years, but I don't know where any of this is going to fall. And uh, I think that they all have chances to be at least very decent players. Coors, so, Coors Light. Coors Light. Gotta love it. Here's Sean Payton. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash bluewire. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit by April 30th. 
Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is my co-host, Macon. Hey, Co- Coach. It's Macon. Nice to Macon, meet you. Macon, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm also a real estate agent. If you would like to move to the Commonwealth of Virginia at any time in your life, just let me know. Listen, I was going to ask you, are, are, the, are the twin barbers around much, Tiki or Rondé? Yeah, honestly, I'm going to see Tiki this weekend. Um, and yeah, I, I coached him for four years. I, I was at the Giants with him and uh, got real close to him. And, and then, of course, Rondé. Uh, years later in the division and uh, make sure you tell him hello. I will. I'll do that, man. They're great dudes. I love them both. And, and Macon had uh, actually two dogs named Tiki and Rondé. Was that right, Mac? We had Tiki, yeah. Okay, all right, because he's a Giants fan. Was Tiki problematic dog? Was that like a, was he a high-maintenance <laughs> dog? Tiki the dog, she, she was a German Shepherd. Uh, ball security was not great. Um, <laughs> locker room, not great. Not great in the house. But... Um, you know, when you look back on it, uh, fringe Hall of Fame dog. Yeah. Good dog. Also a dog that I did not know uh, was a I girl, like so that's fucking news to me, man. High and tight, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she was dropping the bones early on, and now now, now she's like, you remember when he really, and, and uh, Tom Coughlin did a great job of, of those guys really correcting that, and I th- he was one of the first players that I think if you were a fan you would say, man, he's carrying it a little differently than the other runners in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way. Because I feel like, and this goes, I'm going to date myself here, but, you know, Lovey Smith and that Tampa Bay and the Rams and very early in, call it the 90s, early 2000s, takeaways were valued more than maybe proper tackling. It's not that they ever, but you know, in a very short period of time, the way any, any back or receiver carried the football had to change because of how defenses were really attacking the football. And, uh, and so I, I feel like Tiki was one of those guys that he was one of the first offensive players that you saw really make an adjustment to how he carried the ball. And he, and he had to. They drafted Ron Dane, Heisman Trophy winner. I they, was there. And they, yeah, and I was there. It was uh, thunder and lightning, but there for a while it was Tiki. Get your, get your stuff together or else this might not go the right way. But then, yeah, he was carrying it up by his ear hole, it felt like, once, once somebody got so here, a hold of Here's him. Tiki for you. I put in, we, our offensive staff, put in the thunder and lightning tags, and it just allowed us to... It allowed us to be specific with what back we wanted, and and there were you know if we didn't have a tag, maybe it meant one or the other. But and then in the period of about a month, Tiki and Ron Dane started marketing this, and I'm like Tiki, hey, am I in for some of this? I mean, you're selling shirts, you're selling gear, and the thunder and lightning, you know, <laughs> shoot the coaches at one in the morning came up with these tags and and. uh no, those guys had a bunch of shirts, and, and, and I'm sure they weren't the first Thunder and Lightning, but if you ever saw Tiki next to Dane, it really fit. Well, I wonder, because like when I used to play y'all late late in the in my career, you guys had two rushers that were pretty different, and Alvin and Mark Ingram. Like, How did you think about using those two separately? 
same same thing. And believe it or not, we had these tags. Um, I, I think the one thing it's hard for people to understand is how um, challenging uh, it can be to play running back day in, you know, down in, down out, sixteen weeks. And Parcells taught me this. You know, we've we've always tried to have great depth at that position, and and then when you're looking at the vision relative to an you know an Ingram or a Camara, and then you know a little bit before that, it was Sproles and Pierre Thomas, and yeah. and before that it was Reggie Bush, and but those combinations, uh, I think, in the long run, help both players play longer. Whoever the, the two players are, you know, and. One of the great things about Alvin and Ingram, and, and look, in today's game, it's so hard, but they were very unselfish. I mean, they wanted to excel. They wanted to uh, be productive, and yet they were just as excited when the other had success. Um, and, you know, and they were really close friends off the field. So, uh, yeah, we still had we had a base rule, and we had a thunder uh, that involved Mark and a lightning. And so those those guys were, were, were kind of the next package of thunder and lightning. And, and we've always had a combination of those type of players. You know, one maybe is a, a joker, for instance, if you got man-to-man or a matchup like Alvin. I just think it helps the health of both players as well for the, for the course of the season. Gronk was just talking about something. Uh, I think he was on like the Late Show or something. And he was busting Bill's chops, I think accidentally, because you know with Gronk, it's like straight from the brain out the mouth. But like Gronk yeah, was busting yeah. Bill's chops about withholding bonuses. And I wonder how you manage like reps for people at the end of seasons and like carries and touches. Because I know backs have a bunch of, like for us, it's sacks and it's play percentage. And mostly those, those are our kind of like incentives. Like yeah. how, how did you approach yeah. like, because you've been in situations where You've probably had things wrapped up and you got to consider like, maybe I got to be taking some money out of somebody's pocket, but I want to rest somebody. I I think this, it's a great question. And when you consider the economics of our league, we as a team, I would say always erred on trying to help the player get the bonus. And, And I'll give you a couple examples. We're playing Carolina late in the season. Emmanuel Sanders needs six catches to, to make a 250 or maybe it might've been a half a million dollar bonus. And, you know, a lot of times the coach isn't aware, but, but I knew where we were in the season. And and I told him, look, you're going to have those catches before halftime. You know, we, we can figure out ways to, and, and plus it's going to help us because he's a, he's a fantastic player. Uh, We've had, uh, man, that's come up at receiver. It's come up at runner where I'll quick make a change. And, and we had a defensive end. And this was a, a little bit more challenging in a playoff season where we were resting starters. And one of the, one of the challenges, if you begin to maybe sit some guys because you're already locked into a two-seat or a three-seat, you know, the rosters on game day, you know, are, are pretty small. And... uh and I remember he was two sacks off of his bonus, and yet the health of of, of him was more important to us as a team. Uh, was certainly, 
important to where we were trying to get to in the playoffs. And, uh, and I just told him, Hey, you want the good news or the bad news? And, and he said, give me the bad news. I said, well, I'm not going to play in this game. And then he looked at me and I said, the good news is you're going to get, you know, I'm going to give you those two sacks and, and, and we're not going to deal with this conflict. And so I, we've just taken the approach where, man, when it's close, we're going to try to get the, the player that bonus. And then at times, um, we we've, we've actually awarded the bonus because we just felt that at that time, and that was a unique last game of the year, um, but it worked out well. And so that, that's just been, there, there's two things as a coach, there's the bonuses that come up and then we went through a stretch. Gosh, in 2011, it felt like there were six different players that were up for records and we've always tried to win the game the right way. And, um, but you know, with Jimmy Graham, that one year was setting a record, uh, he was playing, believe it or not, Chris, at the exact same time as Gronk. And in my ear was the, the information from the booth. We were ahead on Atlanta and, and it was like Gronk just caught a 30 yard pass. Jimmy's 20 behind. And now we're like, we're chasing numbers here. We did it with Darren. We did it with Drew within the framework of the game, you know, not obnoxiously, but yeah, we're aware of those things. And I, and I think, I don't know. I think in the long run, philosophically, that's healthy for the locker room. And, uh, and I think it's healthy for the team. Yeah. I mean, you, that reputation probably like pops up when agents are talking about like New Orleans takes care of their guys when it's close. And also like if you're in range of a, of an incentive, you probably, you want to reward that player anyways, cause he's probably one of your dudes. Listen, at, at, at Carolina in the third quarter, I turned over to Emmanuel. I said, listen, I want you to take that half a million now and put it in your kid's college fund. That's what you're doing with it. You know, we're laughing. Mm-hmm. And it just creates the relationship that I always felt was one of the cool things of coaching. When you can tell a player, regardless of position, hey, this this is a scheme we like, or this is this is how I think this can unfold. And, and, and then when it happens, you know, it's pretty powerful. And, uh, you know, that's something Emmanuel always remember. And he was a great teammate and, and a pleasure to coach. And, you know, here it was, you know, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in a game for us, we were going to the postseason, but those six catches he needed were significant. And so, um, you know, he liked, he liked hearing from me during the week that I, I, I told him he'd have him at halftime. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's coach, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Actually, as a player, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coach, speaking about money owed, two part question: Who was the better collegiate yeah. quarterback, Sean Payton or Tony Romo? And did you really short the guy ten grand when you were trying to get him to sign with Dallas out of college? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to answer the second question first. Um, yeah, I had just arrived in Dallas. It was 2003, and, and I was hired by Bill Parcells, and he hired me over the phone. So we had never worked together, um, and I just knew that opportunity working under him was, was going to later serve me, you know, if I ever wanted to be a head coach. And so that very first draft, we're going through just like, the teams are right now and you're at the combine you're studying players and you know there was this quarterback that happened to go to school 
where I played it. And the combine always invites three, like one double A players to come in for the whole week. And so they're, they're going to throw with the quarterbacks and the receivers on their day, but they're also going to be there for the tight ends. Then the next day they're going to be there for the running backs. And so you kind of see them like all week long and you've interviewed them. And, and Tony was, was that guy that I felt like I saw eight times at the hotel. I saw him, you know, he just was there the whole week, but we were evaluating Terrence Newman that same draft and Terrence was the first round pick of the Cowboys that year for us. And it just so happened Kansas state played one of those early games versus Eastern Illinois. And, you know, that's a step up in class, obviously for uh, an FCS school now that they use that term. And when you watch that film and you're, you're watching Newman, but you're also noticing Romo and, and man, the pocket may not be clean, but he's hanging in, making plays. And, and, you know, this is a guy that he won the Walter Payton, you know, one double a player of the year, which is the equivalent of the, the Heisman at division one level. So um, we had a draftable grade on Tony and I liked him. I mean, I, you know, one of the things you, you learn when you're scouting is, and it's, and Bill was great with this is, man, he wanted an opinion though, a positive opinion, or a negative opinion, but don't ride the fence. And so, you know, Tony was one of those guys that, but the challenge for me in that setting very early on, because it was only two months in is no one really knows the evaluators yet. No, I haven't worked with, with Bill or I haven't worked with the scouts there, Jerry Jones or anyone. And so, and now this is a guy that went to my, college and it's like all right is this guy just like him because he went to eastern and mm-hmm. i'm like look it didn't matter where he went i just there was something about him and so we began discussing and, and this this happens in the draft you get to the fifth round and you might have a cloud of four players you know maybe maybe there's a corner uh receiver a tackle uh an inside defensive tackle and a quarterback you know and then you begin to these guys are all in the same neighborhood, so their grades kind of put them in that cloud. So we're not bumping players up, if you will. And typically speaking, if you're in the fifth round, you probably are 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 discussing drafting someone you had a fourth round grade, maybe even a third round grade, and that becomes easy. You you, you select the highest graded player. So I know in that. Second day of the draft, you know, beginning in the fifth, sixth round, Tony was in a few of those clouds. Um, We ended up taking another player, and then, you know, the same thing happens in the sixth round and then the seventh round. And, you know, you're on the phone with the player, and and it's it's a long, you know, for the guys getting drafted towards the end of the draft, it's a long process. And... You know, there's there's company at their house. Everyone's got a different, you know, celebration. And and I know in Tony's case, I know he expected to be drafted. We would have guessed that he was going to be drafted. And and we ended up taking someone else in the seventh round. I can't recall. It was the 03 draft. And now I think what people don't realize, when those seven rounds end, like each draft room turns into – like the largest cold calling 
sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> hard sales room for the better part of two hours. And you're on the phone and you know, there's good football players. There's, there's really good football players. History's told us that. And then you have a bonus pool you're working from. And so Tony, I'd had dialogue with for the better part of two rounds now. And, and he had shoot eight or nine teams all on the phone with him after the draft, because now you have a highly regarded free agent quarterback that, that has a chance to make a roster and eventually, you know, have some success. And, uh, and yeah, the, I, I can remember exactly the bidding, you know, maybe it was at 10,000 bonus and, and Denver was at 15. I know it became very quickly. It became Denver and Dallas. And ironically, Denver at that time was coached by Mike Shanahan, who also went to Eastern Illinois. Mm, yeah. Wow. So you got this, this twist here. And I think to Tony's credit, he, he saw the depth in Dallas. And I, and I think a lot of these players do a great job of looking at the depth charts. And, and you know, when you're talking about, let's say, a $25,000 signing bonus with Denver or a $15,000 signing bonus with Dallas, and you, you start doing the math with taxes and everything, you're, you're really looking at the roster. Where can I make a team? You know, any, any player who's a undrafted is thinking, how can I get on a team, even if it's the practice squad? And our roster uh, was lean at that position. You know, I, I felt really good about where he was uh, leaning to. And so the story was we were at 15 and Denver was at 25. And I came back into the, the draft room and, Bill was in there. Now he had already talked to Tony Parcells and then Jerry Jones had said to me, Hey, do we need to go to 25? And I said, honestly, I think we're good at 15. And so we, um, sure enough, uh, he agrees to, to come to Dallas. And, and again, I haven't known Jerry, but for two months and <laughs> the draft ends and we're, you know, each, each, each organization's got food brought in. We had, barbecue of course in dallas and i remember just eating some brisket in the cafeteria and jerry walked over to me and said you know i don't know you that well but i like you already saved me ten thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah you saved him yeah you, uh, that, i mean that's an amazing story and it also goes to show that like the undrafted players get more of a of an honest like uh like process of choosing their best destination which I think yeah, a lot absolutely. of fans discount, like, is you'd be pissed to be drafted last. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, agree a hundred percent, Chris. And look, you get drafted, you're drafted and you have no control over it. But, um, when you go undrafted with a lot of interest, you, you have choices and today's player, uh, I'll give you an example. Today's player, um, clubs will, will guarantee an undrafted player, a practice squad spot. So, mm. you know, that, that, that $25,000 bonus or $10,000 bonus quickly goes to a rookie minimum practice squad number, which is, you know, over a hundred thousand. And so you're, you're simply extending your draft, you know, let's say it's seven rounds and you've put late in the draft, you start identifying who you would practice squad offer. Um, essentially you, you've made around eight, nine, 10 and 11. If you, if you guarantee four practice squad players, and I think it's good business. Uh, I think it's good for the player 
but it's uh, every year it, we do a study every year. The un, you know I always want to see the undrafted players that made rosters, and you just it never it, it, it never surprises you. And guys that are playing in, I think the scouts' worst nightmare is an undrafted player that makes a roster that there was no report on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in other words, if you've got an area, at least have a report on a player. You know, you don't want a player that that makes a team and does something in, in weeks one or two and, and, and you can't find a report. So um, it's always interesting to, to see that process. But the minute the draft ends for the next two hours, there's a lot of good football players, you know, that are getting signed by teams. And Tony was one of those guys. And, and so, you know, when you look at that, you know, a quarterback of, of, of his stature, you know, getting to a team, you know, with no draft pick for $15,000, that, that's, that's pretty good business. Um, so I spent a lot of time on question two because I didn't want to get the question one relative to <laughs> – <laughs> Who had the Who had the better career? I look. He won the Walter Payton Award, and and I, I you know, I, I wasn't able to accomplish that. I had a few records still left. I know that when he left, but you know, about six, seven, eight years later, this guy Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, just completely cleaned up on whatever whatever numbers that Tony had or I had. Um, you know, I know that we're, we're down the list now. I guess. The question is with Tony and any of these guys, and it's becoming like to me, there's a name every year. It's like Malik Willis this year. It's, you know, it's Carson Wentz a few years back. It's Trey. Like these smaller school quarterbacks, how much do you factor in the competition? And what are like the key differentiating factors that you might look at as a talent evaluator and be like, as long as these things are here, I feel like we have a player. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And so, it's, I, I like to look at it positionally. Um, Bill was really hard on uh, a one double A or division two lineman. You know, in other words, he, he, he was that, that player had to really jump off the tape, mm-hmm. you know, an offensive lineman. And, and so he was partial to the major college offensive lineman tackle guards. And if we were discussing a lower tier, like, you just knew you better have the right tape queued up. Like if you went in there with a tape that, you know, that was just back and forth, you know, he, he was just going to, so Jari Evans comes to mind in my first draft in new Orleans, you know, here we are in the fourth round and we're taking a player out of Bloomsburg and we select him in the fourth round and, and quite arguably he's going to be a hall of fame player. So I think the first thing, the first thing is when you watch the tape, you, you, you want to break it down very simply and say that they got to look like they walk on water a little bit, you know? And, yeah. and so Deontay Harris, for example, he, he was a free agent return specialist that we signed from assumption college. Now I never heard of assumption, <laughs> but when we're watching the tape, it was like, it was hilarious. Every time he touched the ball, he, it was a touchdown. And so, like every player on the field was going to get on with their life's work except him. <laughs> and yet you, you, you had to acknowledge the production. And so when you say, did he stand out? You'd, you'd say a hard yes. Yeah. 
And, uh, and Jerry Rice, did he stand out at Mississippi Valley? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hard yes. First round pick. So we know this. Great players um, can come from anywhere in our country. You know, we've, we're seeing them come from basketball now, and, and the NBA is seeing them come around the world. Um, and I think you have to train your eye relative to what you're looking for. You know, we began to really look at a number of players that would have played football that were playing division one basketball, maybe a power forward, and they weren't going to have an NBA career, but that's the prototype tight end. And I think that, I mean, I, I, we were watching the Olympics not too long ago and I, I text Parcells and I said, have we ever studied men's volleyball? You know, what's the, I mean, how much does a men's volleyball player make? You know, but I feel like when you're watching that sport, I'd love to work three or four of those guys out at tight end. Well, that's that's and, so damn that's like because you know Jordan Mailata, you know his whole backstory. That's a rugby guy. I know that's a, more of a less of a straight line, I guess, or maybe more of a straight line than volleyball. But like, I almost feel like you're getting somebody who has no bad habits. Look, the body types aren't going away. So as colleges move to a spread, let's say you're not seeing as many tight ends and, you know, you're seeing smaller players in the secondary, um, you're, you're still having to look closely at safeties that might become will linebackers or vice versa, you know, or, or where do you find your fullback? You know, just because there's not a lot of two back offense being played, I want to play with a fullback. And so you just got to look in different places than you looked 20 years ago. And because those body types are still around. And I would say the biggest difference when it comes to the smaller college player, the one double a or FCS player division two, or is it's harder to find, you know, 20 years ago, you know, you might have a scout go through a school and see a player and just be like, man, back when there wasn't video, there used to be 16 millimeter film. <clears throat> and the school would let you take three games of film back to your your office and have it for three days and then return it. And there were tons of stories of like fantastic, literal 16 millimeter film on a player that just ended up staying at that one NFL team's headquarters for the better part of two weeks so no one else could see what they saw. <laughs> and so those diamonds in the rough were a little easier to find and maybe hide mm-hmm. back then. And I would say because of, uh, oh, for a number of reasons now, the exposure we have to all of the talent pool is greater. You know, these regional combines. The, but look, this just happened. I'm going to give you an example. So. Alabama has a pro day every year. It's a big, it's a, they've even had two. All right. So that's one of the, you're looking at one of the premier places in college football and every team's going to be at that pro day and probably multiple people from each team, head coach, GM. And, and what they're doing now is they're allowing some other regional schools, the smaller Alabama schools, maybe to send their players over um, and kind of have them join the workout either after the fact and, and, and take advantage of all the scouts that are there rather than 
trying to have a pro day for South Alabama or yeah. one of these other schools. And New England beat Seattle in that Super Bowl where the last play of the game, you know, the corner jumps in front of the little uh, kind of the built-in yeah. like slant route. Yeah, Malcolm Butler, would you would you have thrown the ball? <laughs> would you have run the ball? <laughs> so, well, it, we could talk about what happened there, but it, 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 was, it was a goal line front and he had a built-in and, and look, yeah. It had been nice to really go back and just run the same play they'd run the down before and, and pushed it in with Marchant. But Malcolm Buck- Butler makes that play, and at that very moment, I guarantee you I wasn't the only head coach that drove to work the next day wanting to see Malcolm Butler's report. Yeah. And sure enough, I get it on my desk, I'm reading it, and the, the one scout comes in, he said, you know, Coach, he was at the Alabama Pro Day. And he ran for us. And and so the lesson there always is, I don't care who it is that's working out for you, um, treat them like they're the next Malcolm Butler or they're the next Romo or Rice um, and evaluate them because they're coming from all of those schools. They're just less of them coming. And they have to obviously jump out on their tape because their level of competition is different. But the league is the league is filled with, uh, and the Hall of Fame is filled with players that played at, at those schools that that aren't necessarily an SEC or Big East ACC school. And so you you spend time and you have these stories of you know players that that were drafted late and in uh, so you really you factor that in. Level of comp is, is important, and generally speaking. The one rule of thumb would be if I put the tape on, Chris, and I didn't say a word to you, in within 15 minutes, I'd want you to be able to say, we're looking at number 86 here, mm-hmm. right? Or we're looking at 72 here. like, And that's harder to do at a bigger college level because there's so many talented players. But when you get a school like Bloomsburg, if I gave you Jari Evans' tape and you just looked at Bloomsburg offense and watched it for 15 minutes, at some point, you were going to say to me, "Who is this guy?" I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping it's like 90 seconds in with Jari Evans and Bloomsburg. Yeah, right? it's like, going to be early. If yeah. it's Bloomsburg, like you know, when you're when you're bringing Bloomsburg to Parcells, it better be like you better have it queued up. Yeah, you got to have it queued up to one of his pancakes, or else he's going to be drinking coffee and asking for the next player. Give me one that because everybody gets this opportunity. Coaches get this opportunity. Give me one guy that you're like, I said that guy would be good. We passed him up, or nobody listened to me, and that's the one that got away from me. All right, so I'm in New York, and my agent is Don Yee, and Don also represents Tom Brady and (laughs) for years well Don and I have been together for a long time and back when the combine really was just getting started and and the players weren't so trained for the event you know there wasn't video for instance of like the drills that you were going to be doing you knew that you might have a three but you you weren't as trained for the combine as players are today. Yeah. And Don would periodically call me with a client that he just signed. And, and I was, I was the quarterback coach, offensive coordinator at New York. And he said, Hey, will you, will 
will you call up Tom Brady's at Michigan? I've got him and just help him out with things that you think will be important for him at the combine. And so right away, you know, that, that dome on workout day at the combine is usually about 68 degrees. So the footballs are, man, back then were brand spanking new out of the box, you know, and your hands are going to get sweaty. And so try to train, you know, in a little bit cooler climate, get new balls, make it, make it more difficult because it, you know, if you're home training with the, the ideal broken in ball for a year in 80 degree temperature, it's going to be a lot different when you go to the combine. It's just going to be sterile. You know that it's going to mm-hmm. be, the lighting is going to be just kind of, and then focus more on these throws and, and here are some of the drills. And, and basically I remember it being a, a half an hour phone call on, Hey, what's important, make a good impression, be prepared to answer some football questions. The interviews were much more informal at that time. And, uh, so now I'm a little bit connected to this player only because Don's introduced me. And, and you know, Don was was always targeting a middle-round quarterback. You, you know, he, he represents Garoppolo, and that was, you know, someone that was one of the early picks. But Tom gets take, taken in the sixth round. And in New York, the draft meetings there would be a, a giant circle in a big, big room. And if you could imagine – 28 people in that room, scouts, offensive, defensive coaches. Of course, Bernie, of course, he was the general manager and the late Wellington Mara, his, you know, his sons, pretty much the personnel people in the building and, and the coaching staff. Uh, and it was very meticulous, but it was, it was always, you know, exciting and an exciting time of the year. I mean, you, you were reading, maybe defensive line. We were going to look at defensive ends and spend all morning into the afternoon. And then at some point we were going to move, we might jump to tight ends and then we might jump, you know, you jump around, but then stay with the position and, and kind of stack the position. And one of the great things about the giant organization and the Mara family and the Tish family is there were always a few older scouts that had been with the organization for quite a while. And they they always had a seat at the table, even if they weren't on the road as much. And so we had two or three of those scouts. Whitey Walsh was one of them. He sat to my left and they might have uh, a long report and read an opinion. And like anything else with interactions, you know, there were certain scouts that you you listen more to maybe. And then other scouts you, you listen to and the coaches are the same way. You know, you, Bill used to say, you, you, you evaluate the evaluators. And so once you establish some credibility, like that meant something to when you spoke. And we were doing Brady. Now this, this is going around the room and everyone's seen Tom run the 40 at the combine and everyone's seen, you know, you, you get, you get the, the body weigh in pictures and all of that. And so you, you have, a guy who's not fully developed yet. It was pretty <laughs> much a one year starter. Yeah. You could tell that he's going to need the weight room. But Lloyd Carr said this, I'll never forget it. He says the toughest player he's ever coached. And that meant something. And so I had a grade, I had a, like a, a late three and early four on the player. 
And the problem was I'm sitting in the middle latter part of the read in the room. And so, man, I've just listened to seven different scouts and other people, you know, give this guy free agent grade, uh, maybe a seventh round grade. And here I am, like, I'm going to be the first one to say, and look, it gets back to having an opinion. And so I kind of went through the report and, uh, and I knew that, Hey, this was going to be, but look, I, I kind of see this guy at the end of third round. This is why this is my vision. And I think he'll play in this league and I'm feeling pretty good about it. And then Whitey to my left was one of those scouts that had, had been there for a long time. And so Whitey was one that, you know, they were going to listen to, but, you know, they might not listen as as keenly at that time. He, he was an, an outstanding worker. And when I finished, Whitey said, boy, I couldn't agree with Coach Moore. I had the same grade. And right at that time, I thought, ah, oh, frick. Well, I'm teaming up with Whitey here to fight this battle. <laughs> and so Ernie, of course, he to this day claims he still has my report on Brady. Um, but I'll tell you this, the late, Dick Rabine, who coached with us the year prior, um, he passed away a year after they drafted Tom. But I know Dick had a real strong opinion of Tom in New England, and and I'm not sure the dynamics there. But I know uh, I know Coach Rabine uh, had a real high opinion of him, and and look, by far the best sixth round pick in the history of our league. How did you? How did you guys do such a good job outside of the obvious against Tom Brady, especially these past couple of years? Because, I mean, it's just different when, you know, you and Dennis lined up on the opposite sideline. Yeah, I, look, we were able to win all four of the regular season games, but I would have gladly traded those in for the playoff loss. Yeah. Um, because that was, a, that was the year they won the Super Bowl that organization made with one, one player that, that really began that. So number one, I, I'd say defensively, you're going to have to move the looks a little. I like Tom, just like Peyton and some of these great quarterbacks, they're, they're going to, they're going to see these indicators and kind of understand, you know, if it's pressure. And so you understand that, but you're also going to have to play a patient game and most importantly, a complimentary game. And, and so, what we do on offense has to fit what we're trying to do on defense. And if, if we're going to, if we're going to go into that game and and understand that there's going to be yardage and we're going to have to be really good with our zone defensive plan and force field goals. But when it's third down in the red area, it really is a four point play because when teams convert a third down in the red, it almost always leads. And if you can get off the field, and so conversely on offense, um, you have no chance if you turn it over. And so it's not necessarily – in fact, it might be the opposite. You know, when we played a guy like Tom or an Aaron Rodgers, we were going to be more aggressive on our fourth downs. We were going to understand points needed in this game were generally going to be maybe a tick higher than normal. And yet, you know, last year, the, the last time we were able to win – I got sidelined with COVID. I'm home under the sheets, sick as a dog, really, and, and watching us play on Sunday night. It was a low-scoring game, but that we didn't turn it over. Taysom Hill uh, started at quarterback, and it, and it really became a field position game. And so 
the kicking game mattered. And what I mean by that is sometimes the plan going in may quickly change based on what you're seeing. And you've seen this before, Chris, where you feel like maybe one game is going to be a low-scoring game and, it, and, it, and it's the opposite. Or in this case, uh, what you might have thought was going to be a little higher-scoring game, which wasn't going to benefit New Orleans, became a, a field position game. And, and that's going to mean ball security. That's going to mean you know all those hidden yards that we always talk about yeah. relative to the – you know, you get backed up and the ball's on your own four-yard line. I, I never hear anyone talk about it, but the first objective is two first downs because two first downs puts the ball back in a neutral playing position in the game. Two first downs if you're backed up. Um, if, if you go three and out when you're backed up, that's a huge deal mm-hmm. because it means you're probably catching a punt at the 50-yard line. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's going to lead to, to points. And so, so many of these things have to be on point if you're going to beat someone like him. Like, they just, they just have to be because he, he takes your margin for error and shreds it, you know, where, where you really uh, – no one's got to be Superman that night, but you certainly have to be smart. That was the night he got frustrated, 9 nothing. I remember that game well, and that was a game he had some choice words for your sideline, which usually means I think you're well, doing a good I think, job. I think <laughs> I, one of our defensive coaches, look, I, 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 I could see it from afar what had happened, and I think um, it culminated when he threw one of those tablets uh, in the bench area. And, and But here's the thing about him in, in, in those – elite players that they're so driven and competitive that how do you say it they just can't stand losing and that's a real good trait yeah no question and he certainly couldn't i could spend one year with him we didn't do a lot of losing that year but you could tell he didn't like it make you had one no. for coach yeah the you you mentioned his name the quarterback that beat brady that night was Taysom hill and he is i don't know faced a lot of yeah, he's faced criticism. Criticism, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I've criticized him at times. I mean, I, you know, like, what do you think about Let me t- give you the Taysom player here. Q- yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you the player and the story. I think it's fascinating, and, and this, gets back to, this gets back to our earlier conversation. One of the t- toughest parts of the year for the scouts and coaching staffs is when the rosters go to 53. And I say that, you know, it's varied in the last few years whether you're going from – 80-something or 70-something because they've had a couple different. But when the rosters go to 53, the final cut down the week before the start of the regular season, literally just take, call it 20 players times 32 that are hitting the open market. And so you get that cut down on like a Sunday or you might even get it Saturday morning, but you're spending all night And look, your pro scouts have done their homework, and yet you can't possibly have have touched on every one of these players. So sometimes you're looking at college grades. The point I'm making is when that happens, every team is looking at the available players to see, hey, if there's a way to upgrade our own roster. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm looking at Green Bay preseason tape 
because there's a practice squad receiver, Max McCaffrey, who I was I was familiar with. In fact, we, we had worked him out. But Max played in the preseason for Green Bay. And I'm just looking at film on him to see if that's someone we might want on our practice squad. And so I'm looking at a lot of third, fourth quarter film. You with me? Because he's, that's when he's yeah, getting in. He's in yeah. And it just so happened. Yeah, there's this number seven who's in at the same time named Hill. And when I first saw the film, I'm watching it, and I, I yelled over to Ireland, our director of scouting, I said, this isn't Sean Hill from Maryland, is it? Because it seemed like Sean Hill played forever, yeah, you know, yeah, in I our league. It. Yeah, I and, played and, with Sean Hill, dude. I played with Sean Hill, coach, so yeah. I'll bet, I'll bet your brother played with him. Yeah, I mean, everybody listen, did. Everybody you know, did. <laughs> everyone played with Sean somewhere. So he goes, no, this is Taysom Hill. Um, he's a rookie out of BYU. And so I'm, I'm watching more of this tape and watching this tape. And there's a play in this film, third down, where it's midfield. He climbs the pocket from the 50-yard line, and then he keeps it. And holy cow, runs 50 yards for a touchdown. And when he gets in the end zone, if you're watching the film closely, the all-22, every one of his teammates was jumping on him in the end zone. It was unusual. Like, the linemen are down there, The all of them. Like, unbelievable. It just it, it, it stood out. And I said to Jeff, I said, hey, I'm fine if, if Max is someone we're looking at as a practice squad. I want you to send me now every one of this quarterback snaps because I saw some, some things that were intriguing. You know, the ball came out. Um, I got a kind of an image, and, and they kind of read me more of his quarter. He was injured at BYU. He had a couple different injuries. And so you had maybe a limited exposure. When I finished with that, I walked down the hall to Mickey and Jeff and those guys, and I said, we're claiming this player. And so what does that mean for the fan? You know, when, when all of these players are released, there's a group that are subject to be claimed. And then there's a group, the veterans, that are just terminated. So the veteran can go anywhere in the league he wants. So let's say three teams wanted Taysom Hill, you would have had to put a claim in, and then the player is awarded to the team with the best draft position. Right. Here, the 11th claim that we picked, we picked 11th in the draft that year. And I was worried that if anyone saw the same film ahead of us, teams one through 10, that they might get this player ahead of us. And so I remember trying to talk to a couple teams ahead of us, maybe work out a deal. If you claim this player, then we'll turn around and, make a trade and you can't really do that. So that we didn't do that. <laughs> we, but we tried. So we, we put the claim in for Taysom and we're awarded the player. Now he comes to your active roster. You can't claim someone and put them on. He's got to come to your 53, but we felt that good about him as a developmental prospect. And right away when he reported, I think, in the division, people know this player well, but he's close to 6'3", 240. And when I tell you he can fly, he's the probably the second or third fastest player on your roster. And he's one of those guys that's doing everything at practice. You know, he's playing quarterback, but he's helping out on the scout team, special teams. 
And it was like week six. And it just so happened to be a game where we had a number of players that were injured. And so when you go into a game with 53, you have, you have to deactivate, you know, seven players. Well, we got down to the list where it was like, all right, which one of these two players that have been inactive, Taysom being one of them, and then these other two, what could they do for us in the game if we brought one of these guys to the game? And I looked at Westoff, Mike Westoff, the shoot Hall of Fame special teams coach, was with us. I said, you think Taysom could help us in the kicking game? And Mike right away said, I'll take him. And so we were doing this game with Fox, and it was the one crew, so we had Aikman and Buck. I remember it. And I remember in the production meeting, I said, Troy, there's going to be this guy, Taysom Hill, number seven, who's going to line up at the L3. He's going to be a rush on the punt. He's going to, he's going to be all over the field. I just want you to know that this guy's something else now. And, and I think in the very first game, something's going to happen. And I just want to give you like a reference because you won't know who it is. <laughs> yeah, he sure wouldn't have. And I mean, oh my gosh. And when I tell you, though, sure enough, he's first down on kickoff. You know, he blocks a punt. He, he's, he's running a fake punt. You know, and this legend began to grow and it was earned. I would tell you this, his teammates love him. And our vision at the time was develop him at quarterback because he had traits. Shoot, I think he's five and two as a starter. The first year he played, he won the first three games, lost, played poorly against Philadelphia, had a tough game. Chris, I think you might have been there. Um, and then bounced back. And so a lot of people have been back and forth about him at, at quarterback. But meanwhile, all the while, he's playing F tight end. Yeah. And I think that you're going to see if I think there was a lot of people wondering about the contract this year. And the contract this year that he signed is reflective, is solely based on him being an F tight end. Anything at quarterback would be adjusted. And so it's hard to explain to. But here's a guy that's going to play. You're going to play 38 snaps a game. He's going to he's going to be in your base package because he's going to be one of your better blockers. He can catch the ball. He can run. Um, he's a tremendous blocker. He is a good and blocker. Used to, he really is. Even for a defense, you're like, man, this kid is not just a gadget. I mean, he can, like you said, you're 53 people. You got to put. What if you got a bunch of people? He down? got he on Malcolm. He got yeah. on Malcolm Jenkins that one game. And I'm yeah, telling you, yeah. Taysom's one of these goofy guys that's going to laugh. and He just loves playing. So he's he's this annoying um, – yeah. God, they just did a 30 for 30 on Christian Leitner at Duke. Yes, you know? yes. He it, just it, smiles like, at you. You're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, were you not going to yeah, say anything you're, mean? You're, like, you're just going to smile? Yeah. I, I'm like, let's, let's talk. No, because he doesn't drink caffeine. He drinks milk after the game, and it's like <laughs> it's too – it's. It's too like it's too storybook, you know. Yeah. And he's a, he's a tremendous teammate and a tremendous person, and so I think, and I I think these next four years, um, he he stays healthy. You're going to see this guy narrowing in more at that position, and because he's not at quarterback as much, you're going to see him on the field more in the kicking game. One of the challenges when Taysom was the two was look, if you're dressing two quarterbacks, it's hard to run your, 
backup quarterback down the field on all four core special teams. On any play, is his right pinky finger could go sideways, and then he did. can't play quarterback. I think it did. Didn't he yeah. bust his finger up real bad maybe <laughs> last year? Oh, he's had a concussion. It's just yeah. the way he plays. So you you had to you you had to understand what his what his role was in that game. And so the challenge sometimes when you lost the player ahead of him, Taysom became the two and you lost two players. You lost Breeze, for instance, and then you lost Taysom Hill that was playing like in an elite level special yeah. teams player. Elite. And uh and so I you always look at comparisons, you know, and, and you're trying to look at body types, but there's three or four tight ends in the league with a similar contract that that I wouldn't come close to thinking about trading for this player. And that that's how much I, I and it's it's not until you play against him or it's not until you're in the division or even closer on his team or coaching him that you realize the value because look, you still have that element relative to your short yardage and goal line runs. Right. And he, there, when we lost to Tampa in that playoff game, we had two players that were out, Taysom Hill, Latavius Murray. And there was a lot of physicality that sat that game yeah. because of injury. And there is a, a punishing element to him, especially in the fourth quarter. He's only scratched the surface as a route runner and catching the ball because he does those things exceptionally well. I always say, like, if I was a coach, and obviously I'm not, but like, I I would run Wildcat, like, and run some gadgety stuff just to get it on tape, so people like me are running around like chickens with our heads cut off during the game week. Like, you know how D coordinators get all nervous about seeing these packages, yep. and you got a guy who can do that like every week. And I remember, like, just how much of a pain in the ass it was to play you guys because. I I had to prepare for a Taysom Hill package, and that would rear its head from time to time. And honestly, one of the games I watched getting ready to, to talk to you today was our playoff game from, I don't know, 2000, and it was my last game of my career, actually, Coach. And uh, Taysom yep. hurt us. He hurt us in a few ways. Y- you took a lot of chances that game. You guys were down 14 nothing. We kind of jumped y'all. Y'all kicked the living shit out of us down in... The only good thing that came out of the regular season matchup that year was I got to eat those charbroiled oysters, which are not as good after a loss. But then we come back and we play you guys in the playoffs. We go up 14 nothing. It wasn't really until that fake punt that y'all got momentum. And then, like, he came in the yep, game absolutely. late. Yeah, he came in the game late and moved the ball. Actually, one of your big shots, I think, came uh, from Taysom, and it got called back. But it was just such a... You know, he's just such a different element. I guess watching that game, as painful as it was, I kind of wonder your philosophy on, like, taking chances because you've always done things, like, different. You've always had, like, a, you know, a a different wrinkle. You know, like... Onside kick. Onside kick, right? You're known for the onside kick in the Super Bowl. Like, you're taking chances. And I've heard the audio of... You know, I've heard stories like you were the only guy that wanted the onside kick. You took chances to beat us in 2018 in the playoffs. Like, that you went for it on fourth down. I think... Yeah, I think there it's there's a lot of discussion today and it, it they throw we spend so much time talking about fourth down relative to analytics and there's so much more to the analytic equation. Um and, and when you when you take a guy like Taysom and there's certain things let's say that that you carry each week and the bigger question is 
when he enters the game, is Brees still on the field? Because when he's playing tight end and Drew's on the field, and then and then at that moment, there's nothing that tells you they're in wildcat yet until nope. the formation breaks. No. Nope. And then so we had Cougar personnel, which meant Taysom was coming in, he was playing quarterback, Drew was staying in. And Drew became the X receiver. And then we had a package that was Provo, which meant Taysom was coming in and Drew was off the field. And and at that moment, your defensive coordinator is going to know, hey, um, we're going to get Wildcat for sure. But one of the things, uh, he, he wasn't great with the read option, honestly. You know, in other words, he'd pull it and should have kept it or, you know, or, or should have given it. And, but he'd make, he'd make some yardage out of those plays. But the plays I, I think that really worked with him were the gap scheme plays, the physical plays, yep. you know, where you're bringing a fullback in and you, you're, you're running a quad power and you're gaining your extra guy because you're snapping it to the, the runner now. And, and, and so now you can, you're playing 11 on 11 at that moment instead of quarterback handing it and you're playing instead of playing 10 on 11. So there was a physicality that came with certain things. And the other thing, he's got really good arm strength. And so generally speaking, when he was taking a snap, your defensive inventory was, was very simple, whether it was a single safety defense or in the case that year, you know, when he was at quarterback, it, we got a zero funnel look. You know, in other words, that free left the middle of the field and tried to bump into the box to counter the the numbers, if you will. Yeah. And well, holy cow! That you 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 can just pull up some high school passes, a post, and a deep end. Um, you know, everyone's got ten pass thoughts. So, you know, when you can, I'll tell you what's pretty powerful on offense. When you can say, if we do this with certainty, they're going to do this, then, then I want to study that tape. You know, and, and, and so sometimes a player like him who can pass uh, and can run, you can get some explosive play opportunities. But, look, sometimes look, that, that game specifically where you're down two scores, if, if we just continue – the current pace that we're on, we're going to lose this game. And so we're not trying to haphazardly change momentum, but boy, this would be a good time for us to convert this fourth and six. I thought about you. I thought about that game earlier when you were talking about like Brady or some, some earlier where you were saying, I have to like, we have to pick up extra yardage. We have to do the, because we know like it's not going to be enough to, to do. And maybe that's the way you apply kind of taking those chances based on whatever so the, the situation the, is. The, 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 yeah, the, the Colt Super Bowl game it was a great example. We spent, I remember Bill Barcells at that time was working as a president with the Miami Dolphins. And look, you know, each night we talk about this game, <clears throat> the Super Bowl, because there's two weeks to prepare for it. And his concern, rightfully so, was we were seeing a red hot, Indianapolis cold offense, and he just kept saying, you got to find a way to steal a possession. And he kept referencing a game where the Giants, where he was coaching, upset the 49ers in Candlestick. It was the year 
they went on to beat the Bills, Wide Right, um, Whitney Houston, National Anthem. It was that that year. And um, they had run a fake pun in San Francisco. And, and same thing, Montana, that offense was rolling. And they were able to hang in there. They stole a possession in the second half. And it was the difference in winning and losing. And and so, you know, I'm the worst. When I when I come into a staff meeting and I told them I just got off the phone with Parcells, they all just like hunker down like, oh, here it goes. We got, you know, a half an hour with, with, with Coach now. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I come into a staff meeting and I said, I just got off the phone, you know, and I'm talking to special teams coaches. I'm like, I need a fake punt where we could steal a possession, boys, you know, and Let's think about it in the bonus week here. Man, these guys were combing through the punt tape. And Indy did a good job, you know, where they were in multiple looks. So this is 30 years removed from that 49ers-Giants game. So the punt looks now are buried and guys walking in. And and none of them could come to me and say, well, Coach, there isn't one. It's like I wasn't accepting that. And then finally, (laughs) Morstead came up to me and said, Sean, He's like, look, your coaches don't want to tell you this, but the looks are, are shoddy for a fake punt if we're, if we're looking to run it. But they have been looking at this onside kick. You know, there's one of the Colt players that we think is leaving early, and I you know, I can work on this. So I was like, fine, then let's work on this. And so it was all, it was all back to trying to create a turnover. And then think about this for a second because – this, this is pretty simple, and 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 yet, if you if you just statistically look at Manning getting the ball at the twenty twenty five, Manning getting the ball at the twenty twenty five, with that offense, two completions, they're at the forty, and so you're really talking about risking putting him on the field at the forty versus the twenty five, right? And you're not you're not talking about risking that versus an offense that's ranked twenty eighth in the league. You're talking about risking that with an offense that gets to the 40 yard line before you drink Gatorade. (laughs) And so it's, it's really, when you look at it that way, it, it, it it wasn't such a high risk call. It it just was, you know, it, it was what it was. The momentum was in their favor at halftime. It was kind of a low scoring half. And the wind was kind of blowing left to right. Most of the scoring, in fact, all of the scoring in the first half happened in the one end zone. And the mistake I made when we went in at halftime, the officials just asked which way we wanted to kick because we started with the ball in the first half. And I just felt like we needed to move in the third quarter. I said left to right. We we needed to win. It was like a 10-mile-an-hour win because we couldn't afford for the game to continue on this path that it was and, and that's back to Chris what we were just talking about in your game we just couldn't continue the current path that was on and so but it wasn't until halftime which is forever as you know 35 minutes yeah. that we decided we were going to start the half with this and as I came out I was being interviewed by Solomon Wilcox and I'm sitting there staring at the field and I recognize that when we kick this onside kick it's going to be over on the Colts sideline and look, the last thing you want is to have like one of those calls being made, you know, that's a 50-50 call 
on one team's bench, and I sprinted out. <laughs> the ball's on a tee. The, t- the teams are just getting out there. I said, I want it right to left. I said, right to left. He goes, oh, I thought you wanted it left to right. I said, no, I want to go this way. And sure enough, it ended up being a scrum, you know, a minute and a half second scrum. And that's when I felt like I had Drago's oysters, you know, like a, a two dozen <laughs> raw oysters, yeah. you know, waiting, waiting to see. But it was important that that was on our sideline. There's a human nature element to saying white ball when everyone around you is in a white jersey. Yeah. And so that ended up being something that changed a little bit of the momentum of how the game was being played. But I'm going to say from the end of the first half, you got the who at halftime for 35 minutes. You come back on the field. Then we start. I think Peyton went, I'm going to say close to an hour without being on the field. Oh, wow. Like we, we finished the first half. They're going to get the ball. It just seemed like it was a long time before their offense was back on the field. And how do you disrupt someone like him? And it, and it's, it's a sign of, it's probably the, Back to Brady, it's the greatest form of respect you could give someone. Was Thomas Morstead really allowed to call you Sean? Is everybody allowed to call you Sean, or are you coach? No, I, I'm i comfortable with either. I don't even really pay attention, honestly. Um, well, if anybody would be Morstead, how long has he been there? So Morstead's a rookie this year, and this season, though, that we're talking about. Okay. Here's the problem. Wasn't there another Morstead down there? Am I totally fucking no, confused? No, Morstead... SMU, we draft Thomas. Mickey and I have a deal where we rotate who goes to talk to the media after the pick. So first round pick, I'll go down. Second round pick, Mickey will go down. You know, you just, you're going down addressing the media. And so whenever you draft a kicker or punter right away, I'm like, it's your turn. Like the fan, <laughs> I don't care if it's Ray Guy. All right. Everyone like, can't stand it when you draft a kicker or punter. And, uh, now, Morstead was in his rookie year, and I told him at the beginning of the half, which was stupid, and he sat in his locker. He tells me this later now. He sat in his locker for the better part of 25 minutes sweating over this ambush <laughs> kick because it's kind of like I want you to run at this ball real fast, and then I want you to hit this pitching wedge on the green right by the hole. And I should have told him, like as we were heading out, but that was another mistake. It was incredible though. I mean, what a call. If you're in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, New York, Michigan, Tennessee, or Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet, I got great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, 200 big ones. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't pass it up. Download the WinBet app today. Terms and conditions apply, must be 21 or older, and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. Hard right turn into the Falcons. Like These are all good memories. Like, Well, maybe the Falcons are a lot of good memories for you. Is there anything you hate more than the Falcons? I feel like that thing down there is like a college rivalry that I never really fully got as a pro until retirement when I actually had Sunday ticket and I was watching Falcons-Saints games. They say hate week. 
Is there an example of just how hateful that week is? You know, it's it's interesting. I don't. It's a division game. I've said this before. I when I first got to New Orleans in '06. I mean, I I, I get the history because they've been in the division forever together. It used to be the old. West with you know San Francisco and the Rams. Yeah, and the I was Falcons a Panthers fan. Yeah, growing up. Yeah, so and were, so yeah. it it was. We had to beat man. We had to beat Tampa Bay and Gruden. Like that was, and so that kind of became. You know, in the division with four teams, there's like one team that's on the top of the hill, and the other three are trying to knock them off, knock them off, knock them off, and so lost in that is any history of the rivalry. And, and the other day, someone tweeted out, you know, I guess Atlanta and New Orleans both were heavy in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, I guess. And I think one of the writers sent a tweet out, like if one of these two teams, Atlanta is able to outduel the Saints in this recruitment of Watson, that will really add to this rivalry. And I, I tweeted back rivalry, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> you know, we just had a lot of success against Atlanta. And so, you know how, like, you get the feeling when Auburn plays Alabama, it's a bigger deal to Auburn to win than it is Alabama. Yes. Or, or there, there's some of these, like, where one school calls it a rivalry and the other's like, We eh. have a thing like that and here in Charlottesville. It's Virginia, Virginia Tech. But they care about it, too. They, yeah. they yeah. also win all the Yeah, all the they won all of them, like the Saints. But over time, those will go in, like, ebb and flows. People forget when Cam Newton was at Auburn, that thing was ticking the other direction, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so there are flows that take place, but I think – if you're a historian, a lot of it gets back to the old divisions. Yeah. And be, so you have, you have head to head, you have a lot more head to head, the green Bay, Chicago, yeah. you know, the, the, the Duke, North Carolina basketball. Those are like, you know, how many times Duke and North Carolina have played each other. Someone was telling me it was, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Separated by and 21 that, points all time coach. I think, unless I made that wow. up. In the Krzyzewski era. In the Krzyzewski era. 21 points in all those meetings. That's amazing. And so it's really the deep history of how many times those teams have played. And when you when you say they played this many times, that means there's just a lot more cool stories. No question. You know, they're just, as a kid growing up, and I'm dating myself now. I was an old 49er fan, but that was back when it was John Brody and Gene Washington, Vic Washington, Tommy Hart. Floor investor in the Niners. Listen, easily, easily. <laughs> and only because why? Because my dad liked them. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're like 7, you root for whoever your your parents are rooting for mm-hmm. and and so they used to sell these electric football sets and you guys have all seen that, you know, you turn it on and then you, you can increase it. You, these players are on the field. One of them has a cotton swab under its arm and it's, you know, you're just running football. You turn the vibrating thing on and these players move around and eventually, you know, one of the players crosses the goal line. There's no passes in it, but that was the, that was the big Christmas gift one year. And I got the 49ers. That's the team I wanted. And the team they were playing 
was the Saints. The Saints were the generals. I mean, the Saints were the team that that they were the, the electric football team that you beat when you were the 49ers. That's so good. And that, there's a long, that old NFC West, you know, that included the Rams and included the original LA Rams. You know, they weren't necessarily, they, they didn't really fit geographically like you know the old east was the st louis cardinals mm-hmm. and the redskins and the cowboys and there was nothing east about that there was a couple teams out east you know and so the same the same thing took place in that old nfc where there's atlanta and then there's new orleans and i think the other thing that's kind of unique think about all the sec football schools between New Orleans and Atlanta, you, you got LSU, you got Auburn, Alabama, you've got Ole Miss, Mississippi State. There's a ton of SEC football, and yet there's only two NFL teams in that whole region. Yeah, pretty much. And so for all these fans that yeah, for all these fans that love football, if you're not rooting for college football, I think. There's competition relative to, like, I'm driving to Florida right now. Yeah. And so, you know, this is kind of Saints country, this panhandle, you know, but it's Atlanta spring break week. So I'll see the Falcon fans. And, <laughs> but we kind of took this turf over about 10 years ago. So we own it right now. <laughs> we got Alabama. We got Mississippi. Like, that's a lot of good football without a lot of NFL teams when you look at it. Are you on I-10, Coach? Biloxi, Mobile? Where are we? You you got me on right on I-10. There we go. I just passed the Ramsey Road exit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still doing good on gas. How, um, how many sticks of Juicy Fruit in one ride for you? None. None. I'll so that's just Kodiak. Oh, you're a Kodiak guy. So am I. Day. So am I, Stop. Kodiak guy. Yeah, there's not a lot of Kodiak guys yeah, out absolutely. there. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of guys are into these fucking yep. pouches and skull and all that stuff. I don't even know if it has nicotine in it. No, you know who told me to ask you about Juicy Fruit was your guy Malcolm. He was like, ask him about how particular he is about that flavor. It's just game days, and they come in a pack of five, right? They're so So we good. have this routine so where the equipment guy would would put like, 10 different packs on the desk. I'll kind of look at them when I come in. This is like well before game time. And I'll just pick two packs out, first half, second half, five sticks in each. If things are going well, you keep chewing the same piece. If you're struggling like we were in that playoff game, I'm I'm spitting it. Every time you're three and out or you don't convert, you're spitting that piece out, new piece in. And so (laughs) you might, if if it's going well, you might, you might, stick with a stick for the whole first half. Yeah. That's a good first half. No flavor. And no, that's right. No flavor. We're playing Atlanta and the late Cortez Kennedy, who's a tremendous, a tremendous loss for us all, but a player and a great friend of the saints because Mickey Loomis, our GM signed Cortez to his big contract at Seattle. And so Cortez kind of all, almost, began to follow us, come to our games. He lived in Florida and we lost him. He passed away three or four years ago, but he would come to our games. And if you didn't know better, you might think he was one of our coaches, but tremendous player. 
And he would always kind of hang around. And when you go to these road games or at home, you have a locker room and you have the assistant coaches. And then there's like this cubby hole office for the head coach. And so look, they're all the same, you know, and your, your game day gears in there. That's where the gum is. It's at Atlanta. It's the old stadium. I got the two packs set out first half, second half. They're down to tinfoil. They're out of the yellow cover. Five tinfoil to the right, five to the left. Pre-game, I go out, I come back in, and I notice there's two tinfoil balls on my desk, and I look over at Cortez, and you had to see, he's just chomping on this gum. But he's taking it from, like, one of the game stacks. And the whole time I'm watching him chew this, he doesn't know anything about my little ritual. And I'm thinking he's chewing on like two touchdown pieces right now. For all I know. <laughs> and I'm like, Cortez, I know you're chewing juicy fruit. He's like, well, it was just on your desk. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like those two stacks were like, there was a process to get to those two stacks. And, uh, so what happened that made it the story that it was in the NFC championship game, back in 09 against Minnesota, went into overtime. So overtime kind of messes you up on this thing, right? Because you're 5-5. Five and five. So only in overtime can I ask the equipment guy for some more. In other words, you don't get more than five and a half. Yes. We go into overtime. So on the sidelines, the method to distribute gum to the players, have you ever seen a hardware like Tupperware drawer system that's meant for nuts and bolts and screws. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's like, yeah, yeah, there's seven, there's seven the little helmets compartments. And shit, like for when our equipment falls apart. There you go. So on the sideline, we have that system, but we get the gum in bulk. So they're all in these silver wrappers, but winter green's far left. And then it's spearmint second to the left. <laughs> And it's big reds in the middle. Big reds then you're in the coming middle. over to the right. Big reds in the middle. Bubble gum, second from the right. Far right is juicy fruit. Evidently, in this championship game, someone knocked over that 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 compartment system. And so, as they put it back up, they're grabbing the tinfoil gum and and they're putting it in compartments. But it's completely hit or miss at that point. <laughs> Russian roulette. This is all. Listen, this is all. I, I don't know this at the time. We go into overtime. Bum is our assistant equipment guy at the time. He's now the head equipment manager. I'm like, Bum, I need a stick of juicy fruit. So he hands me what he thinks is juicy fruit. And, you know, tensions are like this is overtime of the championship game. This is to go to the Super Bowl. And I chomp down on this gum and it's like this spearmint. And, oh my you know, God. I can't say the word, but I'm like, I just want some effing juicy fruit. Is that too hard? <laughs> and so his problem is he's still no closer to being accurately correct or not with the next tinfoil piece. So I catch him kind of half opening these sticks looking yeah. for the, Get chewing, the fruity Bob. color. Get chewing. Yeah, with his like gnarly hands that have been on helmets and everything. And I'm like, just give me the juicy fruit. So... <laughs> That's kind of where that story was born, um, and it was when when that thing was knocked over, and, and I got spearmint. Real quick, what's the worst flavor? If you if you accidentally took a flavor of something other than juicy fruit, what's going to just make you gag? 
uh, something that's good for my teeth. Just <laughs> put in any one of the. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. Dentine try to like the oh. tab of gum. Dentine ice yeah, is just and, like it's punishment. Yeah, Trident is like tab though. I, I in Dentine, <laughs> I got it. The one thing about Big Red, I kind of feel like I, I don't like drinking a lot, especially like shots, but. You know what's the cinnamon shot? That, yeah, you know, the, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, fireball. Fireball. Yeah. The one thing about, like, I don't care. You could have onions on your pizza, onion rings. You could have garlic, but man, a piece of big red will clean you up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's like uh, it's like going all the way. It's like it's it's fireball and gum. <laughs> it's fireball and gum. I have a thing like that with peppermint schnapps. So anything that tastes like peppermint schnapps will make me gag. So, all right, coach, you're and you're retired now. Is that the word? But I watched the press conference. You said you don't like the word. Like, how should I refer to what you are now, coach? Man, I'm institutionalized. You know, <laughs> you are I so probably institutionalized. How hard is it to break the habit of like being on a coaching schedule? It it there's no there's no calendar. There's nothing, and so you're just. You're you're like that guy on Shawshank, you know, where like he's seventy eight years old or eight, and they're letting him out. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Come I, on, I can't. He, well, Brooks. of Brooks, 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 Brooks. Yeah, he didn't know what to do, and so yeah, I'm driving my wife crazy. I'm sure I am, and uh, hopefully uh, I'll know soon here with uh, with the studio work, and and then I think the the, the hard thing, and, and I'm. I'm being honest here. You know, when you get fired as a coach, which is generally what happens, you kind of thank everyone, and then it's pretty easy. I mean, it's not easy, it's not fun, but you just leave because you have to. Yeah, no choice. I think it's more it's more complex when when you just choose to leave. Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't happen as much. And so even after 16 years, you find yourself, like, saying, hey, I, I just felt like I needed a change. And I think the immediate assumption is well he's got something up his and honestly i had no idea at that moment um i knew kind of maybe what i'd like to do you know get back in better shape um spend more time with my children there's a handful of things right and but also um what's the next challenge and when you when you get to you know i'm 58 i feel like i'm in good shape and and i do feel like there's a chance i'm going to coach again but but you do begin to see your mortality, uh, not just literally, but also figuratively. And, you know, you're up two in the morning drinking Mountain Dew. And, and I know, look, there's that whole audience in the NFL that says, well, you don't have to do that. But I had to. That, sh- that worked for me. There's a grind element to that that um, you can wear on you. And, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, it was just, I felt like it was the right time. I feel like it's got to be all or nothing. I feel like, you know, like, not the same situation, totally. but being a player and, and saying, I think I'm done this year. It's not that you can't, it's not that you don't love it a lot of days, but when you like, you can't commit to that all or nothing grind like you used to, it's, it's not healthy. Like it's, it's the hardest yeah, thing in the world to do. Why would you do it? If you're at all thinking about taking a break, you know? Absolutely. Look, look I, I saw it and I would never, but I saw late in the season, Malcolm, I, I consider someone who I'm very close to, yeah. you know, it was our first round selection and, 
in 09, started at nickel. You know him well. He's a yeah. tremendous leader, tremendous yeah. makeup, smart. I mean, just epitomizes all the things you're looking for in, in not just a player that's very short-sighted, all the things you're looking for in a human being. You know, someone who, um, who just brought so much to our team in two different stints and, and to your team. And, and I think that deep down inside, I don't know, I'll bet you there were times where Malcolm looked at me and maybe thought, you know, I know him well enough. This might be his last year. And I'm sure I know there were times where I looked at Malcolm and, and wondered, I wonder if this is his last year because there's, there's an energy required. Like you're saying it, it, that man, it's, it's, it's Gretzky talked about it a little bit. You know, he, he was playing late in his career and there are all these other outside influences and forces, you know, that, that are like, Hey, you're doing well. You're still, you're still better than 80% of the hockey national hockey league. And yet he knew that last season, uh, there's no way they just, and so it's, it's hard for anybody else to jump in those shoes and, and feel that. But, um, certainly as training camp comes around and you get, and you, you can re- reference this i'll bet you're excited chris for the upcoming year yeah. well you're excited every year it's yeah. not you know but there's a pit in your stomach because you know the aircraft carrier is going to depart for the better part of six months dark cloud and you're going to be on it dark cloud i always say yeah. july is like i didn't even know i just hey coach i was just on the phone with malik to ask him like hey what i wish i asked coach um and he, we just had this conversation where i go like how you doing with it and he's like no schedule, bro. No calendar. It's different. You know, like that same kind of that we just live such a structured life. Um, and even the calendar in the season, like the times of the year, like I said to him, wait till July comes around. You're going to be, you're going to be celebrating like hell that you don't have to go grind it out in training camp. And I heard y'all's are pretty tough. And, uh, on top of that though, there's going to be this feeling though, where you 10% just really miss it. And then you know, when the leaves come on the trees, you're going to be like, this is fucking weird. This is the fall. Like everybody always talks about, they love October. I'm like, what the fuck is October? Right. I'm like, October right, is tortoise. Right. I have no clue. It's tortoise. It's, it's, coach, can we get the pads off this Wednesday? It's like, I'm not thinking about the fall, like pumpkin spice lattes. Like the calendar is totally yeah, different I, in retirement. I'm going like to notice that. Yeah, I'm going to notice that when. The the one time in five years we stay in Appleton and play the Packers in October. That's yeah. when I'm going to say, ah, oh, the fall. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's just, I don't think about that stuff as a player. I think it's really cool to retire or take a break and like reset and be like, oh, this is what like the real world smells like. It's just different. It's different in a good way. It's different in a bad way. So I'm excited for you because I know coaches work super hard. Is there anybody you really like in the media because I heard you say in your press conference on the way out down there in, in New Orleans that like, hey, I think I could be pretty good at it. And I agree. We agree. I mean, like, do you watch people and evaluate the job they're doing and how much of the noise do you hear? Do you have any media pet peeves that you're going to take and apply to your own career? Yeah, listen, absolutely. I, I, I'm biased to Fox, not because I'm talking to the son of yeah. Howie Long. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I've been in the NFC and, uh, you know, we've had – We've had the number one crew at Fox. This is a good thing for at least 45 games. Yeah, it's a good sign. Championship games, you name it. And so, you know, there's a little bit that's kind of the Yankees, I think, relative to the studio show. Yeah. And 
And then, look, there's this Amazon thing that no one knows anything about that's going to be on Thursday nights. Um, I, I just look forward to the discussion, like just like we had today, and I think I just crushed this podcast. You did. Yeah, you so, hit it no out doubt of the fucking park, it. man. Yep. This is, this is like so cool. And, you, and we want to get you back again because like we could talk to you for about six hours, but I know uh, you got a four-hour drive. We don't keep you more than four hours. So, um, so picture this, though. Picture this, and, and look, man, it's been awesome coming on and everything. Here's the the one challenge. This is the biggest challenge when you're a coach and and you you step away. There's there's like the same month. Every one of these major colleges has a clinic, and every one of them is like, "Hey, we'd love to have you come speak. We you know we'll fly in, we'll do." It. And so and then like everyone you're close to has a podcast. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> and, and now my, they're going to be like, like I saw you gave exposure. Chris Long 90 minutes. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. The reason this podcast is going to have to end at some point is just for me to get gas. Cause my little light's on. <laughs> but, but honestly, the it's, it's, it's really, it's pretty, it's a pretty simple concept concept. Yeah. And I never realized this, but it's like, Hey, why don't you listen into our phone call? Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. I was just, and then you're like, oh. yeah, I was just on Michael Irvin's pod and he was like, this is so cool. I was like, we did podcasts for 20, 15 years, however long you played in the NFL. We were some of the part of some of the best podcasts in locker rooms of all time. Nobody ever heard them. And that's what it is. Just eavesdropping no, on a great them. conversation. No, it, it, absolutely. It was, it was like that, 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 that show when the Sopranos were, we walked into a Starbucks and like, we've been drinking coffee for years, <laughs> cappuccino, like yeah. they stole our idea. But yep. no, I, I think it's, it's fascinating because it allows the audience the opportunity to tune into something or someone specifically, you know, we're so, we're so focused now and we, we've got great ways to watch TV on our terms. Everything's kind of a la carte now. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that, that part of it is kind of cool. I think it's cool. I can't work any of that shit. The different smart TV elements, but go ahead, mate. Yeah, you got coach, a parting shot for yeah, coach because I want to let him get gas. You and I have a mutual friend in Kenny Chesney, so please tell him, <laughs> Macon said what's up next time you talk to him. He's not being weird. He I did will meet absolutely Kenny tell Chesney. him that. Yeah, and Kenny yeah. Chesney will definitely remember meeting you, mate. Yep. So that's good. Maybe we can get him on the show. Yeah, maybe too. we can get Kenny on the coach show. Too. Hey, co- coach. They're all. <laughs> no, they're all getting ready. To, these guys have all been off the road for two years. Yeah, and well, it's, it's, I think one of the one. It's time to yeah. One of the hard up. things is they they got yeah, and they got like 110 other people counting on them. Right, exactly. You know, everyone yeah. that's that's behind the scenes. I mean, man, this has been tough. You know, and and uh, I know all of those guys, all those entertainers are are really excited about you know this spring and summer because it's it's kind of like what we're seeing with sporting events. You know a shift back to what we're used to. And for that group, you know, I don't think of the artists necessarily. I think of the man, the, the guys that are driving the trucks, the guys setting up the staging, the sound. I mean, when that all shuts down, it's not like their disposable income is, is, is the same as the entertainer. And, and I think, uh, I know that that, that weighs on, on the mind of all of those people that are on the stage, you know, and, and I know that's something that he's thought about a lot. Go get you a go see Chris Stapleton if you haven't seen. Did you get the chance to see Stapleton yet? I haven't. Okay, I have you, not. You got to put um, that in Sturgill. Sturgill and Stapleton. Add that to the menu there. 
I like it. Okay. I like it. I like, I like, I like a like I like something like that, like a good show, but now like an artist, uh, I, I like it. Well, go 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 enjoy, man. There's a lot to enjoy in retirement or uh, institutionalization or whatever you call it. A break. Uh, Hit we, him straight. We, hey, we love having you on. Yeah, he's playing golf earlier today. Hit him straight. Enjoy. You deserve it. And it's really great to finally talk to you at length, Coach. Uh, a lot of respect for you, man. Yeah, I enjoyed you guys, and and I appreciate you having me on. Really, it means a lot. Of course, man. Talk to you soon. 